91.1 Weagle presents the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Your calls are welcome at 334-844-9345. Call now. You can follow Jacob and Bay on Twitter at Bay underscore Marks and at Jacob underscore Hillman 3. Now let's take a look at the scoreboard with Bay and Jacob. Welcome into the scoreboard here on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming at WeagleFM.com. I'm Jacob Pillman sitting alongside Bay Marks as this month of sports is really starting to ramp up. Auburn's got a big weekend ahead in the athletic sphere. But Bay, how are you doing on this Thursday afternoon? Doing good. Um, Very long week per usual, but there is no better way to get over a long week and get a head start on your weekend than the scoreboard at 2 o'clock on Thursdays on WGL. Of course, and we're going to lead off with a review of yeah. of what happened in College Station last week. And, re- and really, I don't have as much to say on this because, I mean, nothing really happened in yeah. this game. I mean, there's one major factor in this game, and it was that turnover, the fumble return for a touchdown. Texas A&M was able to uh, score and take that 17-3 to lead that really made the difference in the game. But, Bay, I'll let you start it off. What... What happened in this game? What was your takeaway? I think the I think Brad Nessler on CBS said the best line about this game was, if you like defensive football, this is your game. Yeah. Three to three at halftime, of course, Auburn and AM exchanging field goals in the first quarter um, and missing some field goals in the first half as well, respectively. Um, the first half, I think the biggest thing for Auburn that really kind of set the tone for the game was bending and not breaking on that first possession. A&M driving all the way down the field in the defense, holding them to a field goal. I think that was huge, and that really kind of set the tone for the first half, um, especially with both defenses just playing well and both the offenses really not being able to get anything across the mid uh, mid part of the field. Um, and then in the second half, you hit the nail on the head. The biggest thing was obviously the offense really stalling out. We thought they stalled out in the first half, really weren't getting anything going. Second half might have been even worse than the Bonex fumble. Um, that was really kind of the tone setter for the fourth quarter, and A&M scoring twice in the fourth quarter, putting them up 20-3, to and they just didn't look back. And um, I mean, you look at the stat line, Bo Nix, 20-41 for a little over 150 with one interception. Tank Bigsby, I mean, he earned every yard that he ran for, 69 yards on 15 carries, and Jarquez Hunter only carried the ball four times um, for 14 yards. So again, like you said, there's not really much to say besides the fact that um, – Auburn's defense truly deserved better than what they got. No offensive touchdowns scored in this game by either team. As we mentioned, the only touchdown of the game was scored on that defensive score by Texas A&M off the Bo Nix fumble. But, yeah, you're right. The offense completely stalled out throughout the game. They had a great first drive that led to that field goal uh, at the end of the first quarter. But, yeah, other than that, they had two other drives over over 10 plays. But, one resulted in the missed field goal. The other one resulted in a turnover on downs. So, I will say one one quick thing is uh, besides the penalty on that fair catch, Ladarius Tennyson had a great game in place of uh, Zion Puckett and by Darius Knight. I agree. I agree. Tennyson really showed out. Was, was he not the leading tackler? He might have been. He was one short. Smoke had nine, and he had eight. Yeah, and he and he really played a great game. And it, and it shows the kind of depth that Auburn has on that defense. And even in the defensive backfield, where we haven't seen Tennyson do much this year, but when his name was called, he was ready to uh, make the most of his opportunity. I, I would definitely say with this game as well, going back to the offense real quick before we move on, it's just, and I think Harson knows this, of course, he said this on Tiger Talk, was just the fact that 
offensively, when you when your defense plays that well, no defense is 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 indestructible. So I think he understood that there were a lot of missed opportunities. He said Auburn didn't really have any big plays. Um, the biggest play really on offense that I can even remember was maybe the loop deal falling catch backwards. Besides right. that, Auburn didn't really have anything more than 10 or 15 yards besides maybe a run or two by Tank. That was the longest play of the game. Okay, Auburn. yeah. So I think that's the biggest thing on offense was Auburn didn't really have that big explosive play or anything downfield for that matter to really kind of get them going um, in the game. And they tried to get it done to Javarius Johnson, but mm-hmm. Nick's just barely overthrew him and he wasn't able to get it to him. So that that's part of what it was, but not really the entire story. Yeah. I, I, mean, really, I really think that the offense – Try to do a good job of establishing the run. I mean, Tank Bigsby only had one one rush go for a loss. He averaged four point six yards per game. But yeah, it, it's really about it was really about the passing game and just not really being able to push it downfield. I think a big thing too was also you can't point fingers at one really position group. But I mean, it, it's it's kind of tough for Bo to do what he has been doing the past several weeks in SEC play when he doesn't have enough time from the O line, and that is credit to A and M's front seven. It just seemed like all day that pass rush was there for them. Um, Auburn's pass rush was 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 okay, um, but A&M's was just to the point where it, it frustrated Bobo and Co. Um, to not even, like I said, be able to get anything downfield. Yeah, four sacks for the A&M defense. And, you know, it's not it wasn't the story, but it was close to being the story because mm-hmm. that also the pressure forced that fumble that Nix was scrambling to try to get away from a sack, and he fumbled, and Texas A&M recovered, so... You know, it was just, it was just not Auburn's day. That, that's really what it was. And whenever you don't score an offensive touchdown, uh, Auburn's gone six straight quarters without scoring an offensive touchdown. That, that's bad. That that goes back to the the uh, last drive of the first half against Ole Miss. It's the longest streak Auburn's had since 2012, and we know how that season went. Yeah. So it's one of those things that you really look at and you think it just was not Auburn's day. That was really the least wasn't. amount of scoring since 2012 too on Auburn's end. Right. I mean, even in the Daniel Carlson field goal game. Yeah. I mean, it's it's absolutely frustrating. And, and I think that's been – I know it's Harson's first year, but that's been the biggest problem under his staff so far this year has just been the consistency. We've seen the potential. Now it's just the consistency of staying at that high level of execution and being able to put points up on the board. Because if you put points up on the board and you, you don't miss those opportunities, Auburn wins in College Station. Yeah. I mean, that's the first time Auburn's ever lost there. Of course, everybody knows that storyline. Um, but I mean, just a few miscommunications, not executing well enough, and and hats off to the defense. I mean, like you said, no offensive touchdowns for them. Um, that's just that's tough for a defensive player to see that and be like, man, we're we're playing our hearts out. And the offense hasn't gotten anything moving. But like Harson said on Tiger Talk last night, I mean, that that's the biggest thing is these players. I mean, it's tough on them. They got to get over it. They got to turn right back around. It's SEC play. They got practice. They got class. They got all this outside noise. So the biggest thing for them besides the execution portion for me is flushing it and moving on. For sure, and we will move on as well to a big matchup at Jordan-Hare Stadium this weekend. Mississippi State also coming off a loss this weekend to Arkansas on the road. They missed a game-winning field or a game-tying field goal as time expired. Oh, man. And what, now they come into Jordan-Hare. What a comment by Leach as well. Did what you see he, that? What did he say? He said immediately after the game, we're going to be having an open kicker trial on campus. If you can get cleared by the NCAA and make it to our facility, we will have a trial for you. Wow. Because I believe their kicker, um, their starting kicker went 0 for 2, and then they put in the freshman kicker, and he obviously just 
miss that field goal completely at the end. Right. Um, but that was Leach's comment. So, well, Coach Leach does not seem to be happy with with his uh, with his kicking game, and we will see if that changes on Saturday. But what 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 do we expect from Auburn coming off their really their big not their biggest loss, but you know, Penn State was close, and Georgia is Georgia. This is Texas A&M. What do you expect coming off this kind of loss? I'll expect them being back home. I do expect the offense to have better execution. One thing I'll point out, if my, my if my memory serves me correct, last year at Mississippi State, Auburn sacked Will Rogers six times in the victory against the Bulldogs. I think that's going to be the biggest key this weekend, especially with a defensive line that hasn't really had a decent pass rush this year besides maybe a game or two. The biggest thing for me is going to be Pass rush on defense, because this is an air raid offense. You have to get pressure on Will Rogers early. Because we know the secondary, they're going to do their thing um, with McCrary and Monday and hopefully Puckett's back, which I think he should be. Um, but that defensive line's going to have to help them out by getting some pressure on Rodgers. They sacked him six times a year ago. They're going to have to do something close to that again this year. And then, like I said, on offense, execution's going to be the biggest thing, being back home. Right, and obviously being back home, We've seen it from Bo Nix. He's much more comfortable there. He he executes better there, and he really just plays well in Jordan Hare versus on the road. Now, obviously, we've seen him play well on the road this year. We finally we finally got that from him. But it's still going to be nice to after that loss to be back home. Of course, it's eleven a.m., but I don't know if that's going to matter as much. This team knows how good Mississippi State is. They know what happened the last time. They played that 11 a.m. game. They started slow, uh, and it wasn't pretty. So, and and if you are not familiar with the air raid offense of Mississippi State and just how much of an air raid it is, because Brian Harson just praised it. Um, talking to Andy last night was just they do a a their own version of an air raid offense, and he said he respects it. Um, but if you don't understand how how deadly it is, Will Rogers this year has thrown for 3,300 yards and 23 touchdowns and only eight interceptions. And their leading receiver um, on the year for the Mississippi State Bulldogs, Makai Polk, has 720 yards, six touchdowns on 71 catches. And now I know Auburn's receiving core is not near the top of the league, but just to put that in, into perspective, Kobe Hudson uh, has over 30 less catches than that, and he's Auburn's leading receiver. So there's there's wow. some stats for yeah, you. Yeah, wow. Well, well, Polk is set, tied for seventh in the nation in receptions. Some guy has 100 receptions already. Jer- Jared Stearns from Western Kentucky has 104 receptions. But he should win the bullet, Nicole, because he also has 11 touchdowns. Anyway, uh, Will Rogers is third in the country in passing yards. So that's to put it in perspective nationally how prolific this passing and, game is. And it's really a pass-first offense when you also look at their season averages. They average 376 passing yards a game, only 56 rushing yards. So... It's kind of obvious where Auburn's attention yeah. is going to be put this weekend on defense. Yeah, and Mississippi State, when they run the ball, they run it with intent. They there's a whenever they run the ball, there is a reason. And so. Marks is a great running back. Yes, I like the last is. name, of yes, course. Of course you do. <laughs> Jaquavius Marks. I mean, he's he's not just a just your average running back. He can run the ball when he needs to. Yeah, and I think that's what what's been said is these running backs could start elsewhere, not anywhere else, but they could start elsewhere uh, in the SEC. It's just the 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 team they play for, they're not going to get that many carries, obviously. Yeah. I think that this I think that this weekend is a big week for Auburn. It's a huge step because you win this game and hey look, I know we talked about last week Auburn controlling its own destiny. All it takes is Ole Miss winning this weekend for Auburn to be right back there with right right back in it if they beat Mississippi State. I was going to say if Ole Miss cuz they're playing A&M this weekend. Yes. If Ole Miss beats A&M, I was going to say there is there's still a chance. 
Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it's not really a chance. It's Auburn controls their own destiny. If Ole Miss wins and Auburn wins. This yeah, weekend. so, and how wild is the wild, wild West? It's crazy. I mean, but, I mean, crazy. looking at Auburn's game, of course, it's a five-and-a-half-point spread. Um, I like Auburn in this game, and I like them to cover. I'm not going to say Auburn responds very well after losses this year because they're two losses prior to A&M. They beat Georgia State. We know how that game went. And then after Georgia, they did play well against Arkansas. So I can't say after losses they've completely bounced back strongly, but I think this weekend they will bounce back strongly. Um, they've beaten Mississippi State two times in a row. I think they make it three. I think they cover, and I think Auburn wins by by 10. Yeah, I think that the difference this week is going to be, obviously, how the two teams bounce back from losses. I really think Mississippi State's is a bit more deflating than, than Auburn's is. Of course, yeah. Now – it's, now, it sounds wrong because, oh, Auburn lost by 17, Mississippi State lost by three. Well, like I said, it just was not Auburn's day. It is what it is. You, you've got to execute better on offense. That's not that's not really an excuse for that. I think Mississippi State pretty much played to their potential against yes, Arkansas. Correct. They I mean, played a good game yeah. and then couldn't get it done. Yeah. Auburn didn't play well. Like I said, things just were not going their way. So I really think that Auburn bounces back well. I think they covered the five and a half. I don't know if they get to double digits, but they went by a touchdown. I think the over-under is 50. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I, I would bet the over. Yeah. I, I, this game will truly be, Yeah. you'll see Auburn run the ball more, but it's truly going to come down to Bo Nix being comfortable at home and airing the ball out. Yeah, now, of course, you could see another game where I don't, I, I'm not sure if they're going to be able to run tank like they did against Ole Miss, but trying to do that, I think, can help Bo really open up the passing game and get some big plays down the field. Yeah, I don't think Auburn will have a have a problem with the offensive line protecting him. Um, a big thing coming back is Brandon Council should be back, yeah. and Malcolm Johnson Jr. should be back. So on the offensive side, Bo should have two key guys back, um, Johnson giving a little more depth in that wide receiver room. And then defensively, I believe Zion Puckett should be back. Um, I'm not quite sure why Knighton didn't play. Um, he made the trip. Yeah. I wonder if it was a game-time decision. Probably. But regar- regardless, um, I, I do like Auburn at home. I think Auburn bounces back strong, and I think they win by 10 or more. I agree. I agree. I think that Auburn does win by seven points, and I think that it's a, it, it's going to be a it's going to be a fun game. It's going to be a back and forth, especially with that 11 a.m. Yeah. Heck, Auburn might start slow. I don't think they will. I think they'll get up for this one, but it's just something you always got to think about. I think the last time Auburn played Mississippi State 11 a.m. at home was 2011 when they extended the winning streak on that goal line stand. Was it 2011? Yeah, because um, 2013 at was home. a night game. 2015, yes, at home. 2016 was the last 11 a.m. Right. in the series. But um, Auburn has won two straight injured and hair against Mississippi State Bulldogs. So we'll see how it goes this weekend. Bald Eagle Spirit will be making her final stadium flight. This will be her 47th flight since her first flight for the 2002 Syracuse game. So... Make sure you're in the stadium early if you want to catch that. But we're talking Auburn basketball, the return of the jungle on the other side of the break on the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM. Thank you for tuning in to the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. You can find the scoreboard podcast on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your podcasts. Welcome back, jungle. We've missed you. It's the scoreboard WEGL 91.1 FM or if you're streaming on WeagleFM.com, Jacob Hillman. The president of the jungle and myself, Bay Marks. Jungle the, leadership. Part of jungle leadership, correct. We will be discussing the return of the jungle in Auburn's opening night win, 77-54 against the Moorhead State Eagles to open their 2021-2022 campaign. Oh, man, where to get started? Well, first of all, I've said it twice, we got to address it. The jungle, amazing being back. My God, it felt great. I mean, I think your tweet kind of encaptured how I felt about it. I mean, we kind of really took it for granted. Yeah, 
And I knew I missed it. Like, like I said in Twitter, I'm going to kind of rephrase it. It's just, I knew I missed it, but whenever I finally really got back into it, like the exhibition was fun, but when it was actually time to play, man, it was awesome. And having that place packed out, it was just so fun. And just remembering back to that Final Four year, the year that should have been another Final Four run, but got canceled due to COVID, it was just so nice being back in that arena. Yeah, and I, we knew last year with the empty arena, we're like, man, this isn't the same. But then seeing it full again really kind of hit home. But Jungle was great. It was packed. We expected it to be packed all year, of course. I mean, it's really kind of – the tickets are at a premium in Auburn Arena, yep. and that's how jungle seating is, of course. you got to get there early. Yeah, but. standing room only tickets available basically the entire season. For, Which is uh, good. For, for uh, non-students. Students just show up early. That's, that's all you got to do. And if you don't, you can still go to standing room. Right. So, um but nonetheless, jungle was packed. Energy was great. It was rocking. Even the players are saying that Wendell Green, the star of the game, which we'll get to, he said it was an environment he's never even experienced before. Called it electric. Yeah. I, I, here's what I'll say. I love his energy, and I love, love, love. We know Dylan Carwell. We know Dylan yes. Carwell. We, we knew that was going to happen. Yes. Like we, I love it. Saw both of them earlier. KD Johnson, though. Yes, KD. Oh, Woo! my gosh. I mean... I think this might – I mean, we previous Bruce Pearl teams have had passion and yeah. have been energetic. Oh, absolutely. And I'm not going to say this right now because, I mean, we're only one game in. This might be the most like – I mean, come on. That was opening game. Auburn was never really – Moorhead State. Yeah, Auburn was never in any threat to lose. They're, Moorhead State went on some runs. They, they kept it within – They were up strike. by 15 at one point yeah. maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They kept it within striking distance. If, they, if Moorhead State went on a run, Auburn would have been in trouble, but they never did. And part of that was because of the energy the students brought and the players kept, you know, egging them on. Yeah. Katie Johnson, whenever he makes a play, he's going straight to the student section going ballistic. Dylan Carwell, he checks in the game, he's immediately pumping up the crowd. That's just, that's beautiful. That's I mean, what we love to see. You they, mentioned, I mean, it, 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 you kind of just have to experience to understand. Yeah. I mean, I know there's other places where there's great student sections, and I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. That team on the other side of the state had a great student section. They did. But there's just nothing like Auburn Arena. No, yeah, there isn't. Truly, there isn't, um, and I cannot wait till SEC play. I can't either. And we, we don't need we don't need to wish away these other games. No, we, we won't. We won't get too far ahead of ourselves. We're going to enjoy them as they come. Their next game will be tomorrow night. We're going to get to that. But first, let's recap Tuesday night. Seventy-seven to fifty-four, Auburn wins at home on opening night. The star of the game for the Auburn Tigers, like I mentioned, Wendell Green Jr., the transfer. Um, I mean, we. We've kind of been making the joke of, oh, this might be a second coming of Jared Harper. But, I mean, after game one, it really might be a second coming of Jared Harper. His final stat line, 19 points, had three assists, a steal, and five total rebounds. I mean, yeah, he kind of did a little bit of it all. And he was the game's leader in minutes played um, on the floor for Auburn, played 28 minutes. And not even just offensively, but his defensive game and defense as a whole for Auburn might be a huge storyline. That's what I was going to say was, Wendell Green, we knew his defense was not his strong suit. And it, it, it still isn't. His strong suit is shooting threes and being a dynamic scorer as well as a playmaker. But his defense was better than I had seen. Better than he played in the scrimmage or in the exhibition. And he really came out. And against an NCAA tournament team from last year, who returns many of their, their key players from that team, yeah, he went out and he played well defensively. And it was really impressive. Also... Zero turnovers. It, of course. I mean, no turnovers, that's a huge thing. Can't get the ball. Auburn had 66 possessions. Turned the ball over six times. And did you see what Justin Ferguson tweeted out? What's that? Every single turnover was a steal or block by 
or I, I think a steal by Morehead State. Yeah. Not a single pass out of bounds, not a single travel, not a single step out of bounds. Yeah. There was all plays made by the Moorhead State defense. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, this team was no pushover. I believe, did they win the OVC last year? They did. Yeah, so I mean, this was a returning championship team, like Jacob mentioned, with a lot of returning players. Auburn's not going to schedule a team that isn't worth their time. Well, um, well, let's, well, when we get to Friday, I think you might change your mind on that one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, the other Auburn Tigers that really showed out in their Auburn Tigers debut, Walker Kessler. Yeah. I mean, only yeah. six points and six boards, but five blocks. I mean... Auburn, no opponent of Auburn's this year should score in the paint with him, Jabari Smith, Dylan Cardwell, Jalen Williams. I mean, yeah. that rim protection is nasty. And the thing about Walker is he's so athletic at such a massive frame. Yeah. That's not something you see every day. No. And I really think that it's something that he's already just clicked, clicked in his mind oh, yeah. how, how to how to play in Bruce Pearl's defense. Yeah. And we, you, you know, you mentioned it when we came out in that one three one zone. I don't even think Walker was a part of this, but it was Jabari. And just, we came out in the one three one immediate turnover. He was at the top of the zone. Turnover. He was, was the one. It was incredible. <laughs> what in the world? And that's something that Auburn will be able to do throughout the year. You're not going to be able to do it consistently because teams will figure it out. But you know, whenever you need to stop, just throw that out there and yeah. the team might not know what to do. Yeah, and back to Kessler, I mean, the stat line doesn't do his presence and his role justice. I mean... Looking at that stat line, it doesn't tell the whole story of how impactful he's going to be this year. He impacted so many shots. I mean, teams are going to have to run their game plan around the paint. He also went 0 for 4 from 3. That's not going to happen every night. No, he he is a good shooting yeah. big man. He's not going to go 0 for 4. Those, the only four shots he missed were from 3. Yeah. And I expect him to shoot 30% from 3 this and year. And don't expect him to to only be scoring in single digits the entire year. Nah, and this is also because Auburn's spreading the ball around. He's going to be a double-double double machine. Yeah. For sure. Other guys in their Auburn debut, like we've mentioned, Jabari Smith, top five recruit, highest signee and commit in Auburn history. He finishes with eight points, six rebounds, three assists, three steals and a block. Um, does a little bit of everything. He got, uh, I believe it was a cramp there at the end. Auburn Arena yeah. kind of held their breath, and I oh, know yeah. you did. Oh, goodness. Um, but that is going to be another Auburn Tiger to look out for this year. Yeah, and I really, and here's the thing foul trouble as well. Look at that. Only one foul. And really, the only person that got into major foul trouble was Zepp Jasper, who he didn't have his best game. We'll, we'll get to him in a second. But it was just something that we haven't seen a lot. It's like, we'll see guys getting foul trouble and stuff. But I really think Jabari Smith and Walker Kessler know how to hold their own and play defense without fouling. Another guy coming off the bench in his Auburn debut, Katie Johnson, like Jacob mentioned, another energy machine. He finishes with 12 points. Um, the second highest on the team off the bench, four rebounds, two steals. We knew this guy defensively was going to be a menace, but he also showed how dynamic and how strong he is at that two position offensively. And he also ran the one a little bit with Wendell running a two. Yeah, it's interesting because Bruce is still trying to figure out what's that backup one because it could be Zepp. I think Zepp knows how to run the offense more than, than KD does, but because Zepp struggled a little bit, on Tuesday night, right. I think he wanted to get KD some reps there, you know, in case in case something's to happen to one of the two, because KD will be the next man up at that position. I'm gonna be honest. I mean, I I like you said they're interchangeable, but after tomorrow night, if if KD plays the way he did again, right, might put him in a starting role. That's just gonna be interesting to see, and and I'll get to this in a minute uh, talking about um, Devin Cambridge, but it'll be interesting to see, especially when Allen comes back, how that starting lineup's gonna shake out with that one through uh, three guard position. Um, but I completely agree. I think KD got that 25 minutes and he got those 12 points that had so much playing time due to the fact that Zepp struggled, and we'll go ahead and get into him. He had two steals um, and two rebounds in the game, and like you said, he was in a little bit of foul trouble, only scored a point, but 
he was kind of one of the what, unsung heroes at the guard position with his defense. And we knew coming into the year, coming from the College of Charleston, that was just going to be, I mean, his strong suit. Anytime you, you're going to need, like, defensive possessions, you just put in Zeph and KD Johnson, and those guards that they're playing against are going to struggle. Yeah. Period. It's going to be tough to still score on them because of how dynamic they are and how good they are. There was a point early on in the game when they were in together and KD forced a terrible pass, and the only reason it wasn't a turnover was because KD was so far up into his man's face that he couldn't get to the ball behind him. Yeah. That was the only reason. And I really think that's going to be a lot of that this year where when Coach Pearl wants wants some defensive spots, uh, stops, he's going to check in whichever one's not on the floor and let them do work. Three guys returning from last year that got a lot of playing time for Auburn in that three and four position, Devin Cambridge, Jalen Williams, and Chris Moore. Who really stuck out to you out of these three guys? I, th- I think it's got to be Jalen for me. I think I thought Cambridge did a good job in his starting position. Something I don't – we talked about this in the past two years is that we love Devin Cambridge off the bench. But I thought he did good in that starting role. But Jalen Williams off the bench really impressed me, being four for six from the field. Those two misses were three-pointers. He got his two rebounds. But he also just felt like he did a good job at going in for Jabari whenever he went down because he's played that center role. And he's played three through five. Yeah, exactly. And he came in at that four spot and played next to Walker and did a good job. Yeah. That's what I thought was impressive was Jalen Williams is going to be ready to step into whatever role he's asked of him. Yeah, he finished four for six from the field. Uh, one of three from the three-point line. I mean, we saw him drain that three. He also hit a free throw. And like you said, had a little bit of everything to do in that four position. He got a few rebounds and a few assists. Um, I mean... He was a team leader in turnovers, but we'll disregard that just because Auburn played so well in that portion of the game. And the energizer buddy of this Auburn team, Dylan Cardwell, came off the bench in that center position, backed up uh, Walker Kessler. He's probably going to be his backup this year. 12 minutes, only had two points, but he also had two rebounds and two steals. And I mean, like you said, his impact in this game and also is going to be throughout his entire career at Auburn goes beyond the stat sheet as well. That dude is just a... I mean, he just puts the energy into Auburn Arena and the jungle. Yeah, and we didn't we didn't get anything crazy out of Dylan on Tuesday. Besides night. that dunk, that was right. That was cool. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But at that point, the game was pretty much out of hand. Yeah. On Friday night in the exhibition game, when Auburn was struggling a lot, well, I guess it was early on, so we hadn't we had we we didn't know Auburn was struggling yet. But he made a block to force a um, a shot clock violation. Man, he blocked it. There's a, still a second left, and he was already, like, screaming at the student section. And it was just, that place erupted. Now, I cannot wait for something like that to happen in a real game, in an SEC game, or a game against a ranked match, a ranked team. That's going to really make a difference. It really yeah. will. Yeah, and he's just, he brings that energy. He brings a swagger, and he, I mean, People love him. It was from the first possession of the game that he was in. He was already over at the crowd, running up and down the court, oh, screaming, yeah. hollering. Um, I mean, just personally, as as Auburn fans, they love to see that. But I mean, like you said, he as the season goes on, like we saw last year as the season went on, he'll become more impactful. He'll score more. He'll be more of a presence in the paint. That's definitely going to be a strong backup to Walker Kessler throughout the year. So, um, real quick before we go to break, Jacob, was there anything you saw, not just from the exhibition, but from Tuesday night's official first game? going into tomorrow night in Auburn Arena that you'd like to see Auburn improve on? Well, I will say they're already further ahead than I thought they would be. Yeah. Coach Pearl said that it's the best they've played all offseason based on the scrimmage, based on the exhibition. That was the best everyone's played. Right, might as Zepp. Zepp's probably the one guy that didn't play up to his potential. And I don't think everyone's played up to their potential, but they played good. They played well. They played together. 
But when it comes to improvement, I mean, Morehead State went on a bit of a run to start the second half. Yeah. So start the second half better. Uh, it's kind. Of, it's kind of like soccer, where those first few minutes of each half are so important. I I really think that you need to come out in the second half firing and really keep it up with what you had in the first half. I think the big thing for me is also that, and then also the the forwards had a big presence in the game. I would just like to see a little bit more of offensive production out of Walker and maybe out of Jabari because we're gonna get where we're gonna get out of the guards, especially when Allen comes back. True. But we're gonna need reliable offense down in the post as well, which we will get. It's going to be just like Chumo Kiki, a work in process with Jabari and Walker, right. I think. That's going to do it for the Auburn basketball discussion here on the scoreboard. We're halfway through with today's episode. On the other side of the break, NFL predictions and the NBA is underway. We'll talk about that later in the show on WEGL 91.1 FM. We're already halfway done with the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. You can find more Weagle content at WeagleFM.com or on social media at Weagle underscore AU. Welcome back into the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM or streaming at WeagleFM.com. If you missed our Auburn football or Auburn basketball discussion, we will have the podcast up right after the show. Search the scoreboard wherever you find your podcast and you can listen back to those two discussions as well. As our NFL predictions, we're about to make and our NBA early season discussion. In our last segment, I'm Jacob Hillman sitting alongside Bay Mars. Let's get into week 10 of the NBA, NFL. Excuse me. We're only in like week three of the NBA. <laughs> that is true. But week 10 of the NFL, starting off with Thursday night football. This one might not be pretty. Ravens go to Miami. But the Dolphins did just get a win over the Texans. But those are the Texans. So. How do we see this game playing out? Blowout for the Ravens? Yes, Tua is going to be a game-time decision. He's only thrown seven touchdowns and five picks this year. Um, and I just I don't see a lot out of Miami's offense this year in 2021. Give me Baltimore. They're on a roll. I think they moved to 7-2. and two. Baltimore by double digits. I think Lamar Jackson runs for a lot of yards tonight, maybe in the triple digits. Move on to Sunday. We're going to start off with, the lead, with, with our teams because they're, they're pretty leaders in headlines. Cam Newton today. Signed by the Carolina Panthers. Welcome back to Charlotte. Now, okay, here, here's what we'll say. The Panthers, Pending a physical. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He's going to pass that. <laughs> Four and five after starting the year three and oh. All because of that comment you made. Yeah, I know. I know. Then they finally got a win against the Falcons. And now Sam Darnold is on injured reserve, and it didn't matter. He was going to be benched anyway. He's been playing horrible. So now they get back. The man that they... You know, I, I tweeted the, the Thanos gif, you know. Can he play Sunday? I don't think so. I, I don't know if I'd... Well... If he gets that physical done... It's Wednesday. Or it's Thursday. It's Joe, Joe Brady might want to... It's going to be close. It's going to be close. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. But I tweeted the Thanos gif, you know. Where did all your failures lead to? Right back to me. That That, that is Cam <laughs> Newton right now because ever since they went away from him, it's been a struggle at the quarterback position. It truly has. But now he's back and... The Panthers will be traveling to the best team in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> One of the best teams in the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals are 10.5-point favorites. I don't think this will be the game that it gets turned around for. No. Even I if Cam plays. Agreed. I think it just the fact that it's at Arizona, and we don't even know if Cam's going to play, and he, he would only be back for three or four days. Um, it's going to take a week or so for him to get back in that groove. Arizona at home, their spread is 10.5. I like them to cover that spread, honestly. Uh, give me them covering that spread. Yeah, I could see the Panthers keeping it close for a half. But I just don't see them covering this game uh, once the second half starts. I think, especially if Kyler Murray's back, I think that that's gonna then that could also play a factor. If if Murray's still not gonna play, and I think he will. Uh, I mean, he missed one game. He had the, he had the bye week uh, to also recover. Then he'll be fine. But 
Uh, we, we will see whenever the game, uh, when it comes to it, but I, I'm picking the Cardinals to cover after a close first half. And your Packers, Bay? Getting a lot of guys back, one of them being Aaron Rodgers and David Bakhtiari. He has been activated, and that is huge for the Packers, but needing that protection. Um, the best le- left tackle in the game, of course, and we get Aaron Rodgers back. Just well, won't get into the won't get into the skeptics of all this. Well, also look at the other side. Yeah, they get Russ back. Yeah. Um, so I mean, hey, lucky CBS for getting this this game at three o'clock and not having both starting quarterbacks out. Yes, and obviously we had Devonte Adams back week back last week. We get Alan Lazard back this week as well. Um, I like the Packers at home. We should have won that game last week against Kansas City, yes. a thirteen to seven loss. That was. That was a stupid loss, and I'm not going to get into the Jordan Love uh, gameplay. I mean, didn't play horrible, but I mean, man, if you're going to spend a first-round pick on a guy like that, you got to win a game like that. He managed the game. That's what he did. Yeah. I mean, when you had the chance to win it, you should have been letting him sling it. That's a definition of a frustrating loss. But nonetheless, we'll move on to this week. I like the Packers at home. The spread is three in favor of them, and boy, the over-under is 49.5. We'll see. We'll see how high scoring this game is. Yeah, but uh, I like the Packers. Yeah, it's gonna be forty-one degrees and nice and chilly. I see. I see a little. um, Oh, I don't even know what it's called. Holy cow! Snow. um, A flake. Snowflake on the weather forecast. (laughs) What if we get that on Sunday? I'd like to see that early November snow in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But yeah, I'm picking the Packers. Being at home, getting Aaron Rodgers back. That crowd's gonna be fired up. And I also think that Rodgers will be easier for him to get back in the groove of the game than Russell Wilson. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's not coming off an injury, so. Exactly. All right, moving on to a 12 p.m. matchup. Falcons and Cowboys. This one's pretty easy. Cowboys coming off a home loss to Denver, which, I mean, nobody expected them to lose. Sorry, Carter and the Pierce family. <laughs> Our yeah. buddy Carter, they oh, traveled rough. all the way out there. Um, but Cowboys should bounce back from this one, especially with the way they played. They only put up 16 last week. And, I mean, the Falcons are coming off a big win against the Saints, a division win, but I think they'll drop to below 500 again. Give me Dallas. Well, this is a rematch of that epic comeback by the Cowboys last season. Yeah. Where the, I think the Falcons were up 20 with a few minutes left. Yeah. The Cowboys ended up winning. I do not believe the Falcons will ever be up by 20 at any point. We didn't think <laughs> about, about the Broncos either, but this is a different week. Dak Prescott's going to be settled in. He's going to be ready to play. I think the Cowboys win in a close one by three points. Moving on. To Nashville, Tennessee, Saints coming off that loss to the Falcons. Going to the Titans, who, hey, they're not letting that Derrick Henry injury hold them back. They really are. I mean, they've been the hottest team in the NFL. Five straight against some quality opponents. The Rams, Chiefs, Buffalo, I mean, Indianapolis. The Titans, I mean, you just can't pick against them right now. Give me them at home. I like the way they've been playing, especially like you said. After what happened with Derrick Henry, they signed Adrian Peterson. I really like what I've been seeing out of Tennessee. They've won a lot of shootouts. They have. And I don't think the Saints had the capability. Go ahead. I was just going to say, and that's something nobody expected with that offense coming into the year. Right, right. And I I don't think the Saints have a capability to score a lot of points. So I think the Titans are going to come in, score a lot, and Saints just not going to be able to keep up without uh, really a great starter right now. So I I think that's going to be the Saints' biggest issue, and it's going to be tough for them to bounce back moving forward in the season. But, yeah, I've got got Titans, and I think they cover that three-point spread. Moving on to Colts, Jaguars. Colts are trying to get back in the battle for a wild card spot. This is the game to do it. Exactly. It gets a two and six Jaguars team. That also just beat the Bills. They did by three, um, which, again, something nobody else saw coming. Indianapolis coming off of a Thursday night football win against the Jets. Um, I like them again this week. I think they move up to 500. I think they honestly can make a late season push. 
um, for their division. I think they're very underrated. They have a few tough games, but they also have a few gimme games I think they can win. So watch out for Indianapolis. Yeah, I like I like the Colts as well. I think that Carson Wentz is he's got a chance to be one of the like the hot guys in the NFL where he's playing really well. I it's not he's not gonna get into MVP discussions or anything like that. He's not gonna lead the Colts to an AFC South title, but he can get them into a wild card spot, and he can get himself set up well for the playoffs, especially with Jonathan Taylor in the backfield. So I'm picking the Colts, and I'm picking them big. Moving on to Browns, Patriots, Browns. They release Odell Beck, and we talked about that last week. A Which little hopefully bit. he signs with the Packers. Yes. fingers crossed. Uh, Patriots dealing with a little bit of controversy with that Mac Jones ankle twist. I'm gonna be honest, pretty dirty in my mind. No, but, too bad nobody's talking about it. Yeah, no one's talking about it at all. But where do we see this game going? Patriots are two and a half point favorites at home. You have two five and four teams with the Patriots being one and four at home. So you would surely you'd pick against them, right? Of course. No. Cleveland, they came off that huge win last week at Cincinnati, which we both picked, picked, or I think I picked against. I don't know if you did or not. I can't remember. But the Patriots have won three in a row. You can't pick against that hot of a team at home, a Bill Belichick coach team, especially with the inconsistency of the Browns. Yeah, and they also realize where they stand in the AFC in the AFC East and how they win this game and they're right there in it. And the Bills, I don't think they're really I think they'll still win the division. I think they just had they've just had eh, a few mad weeks and they'll figure it out in the second half of the schedule. But the Patriots, knowing where they stand, they're still gonna bounce back and I think they beat the Browns and cover that two and a half point spread. As we move on to speaking of the Bills and an AFC East Bills and Jets. Mike White at quarterback. Yeah, that's doesn't, been... Doesn't matter. Will the Bills lose to the other worst team in the NFL this week? No, and I was going to say that's the biggest news with the Jets has been Mike White, but I think Buffalo will bounce back. Um, they were one of the hottest teams in the NFL until they hit that skid. After they beat Tennessee, and then or after they lost Tennessee, and after losing to Jacksonville, they've lost two out of their last three. But I think they bounced back in an easy win. Yeah, it, it's rough for the Bills because they just had this stretch where they played Miami, Jacksonville, and New York three games in a row, and they lost to the Jaguars. So, I mean, you absolutely—I think you absolutely have to win this game, and I think they will. It's just you lose this game, and you're demoralized playing an Indianapolis team that could be pretty dang good. So, I, I I think the Bills win this one in a blowout because they know what needs to happen. All right, Lions and Steelers. Lions still looking for that first win. Yeah, and I don't think they get it this week. The nope. Steelers, after getting crapped on, I mean, the first few weeks of the NFL for how they've played. They've won four in a row, Denver, Seattle, Cleveland, and Chicago. Not a horrible lineup there. I think being back at home, they moved to 6-3. and three. They could potentially make their division a little more interesting with the way they've played lately, so I like them at home at Heinz Field. Yeah, my only issue with that Chicago game is the way they won it. They didn't really convincingly win it like they should have. How controversial have. was that? That was. I, I mean, let's yeah. not even get into all that, but yes, it was terrible. Yeah. It was a horribly officiated game. The, the, the Bears should have had a, chance, a better chance to win that game, and the fact they lost by two, they should have won the game. But point is, Steelers, like you said, they look good. I don't think the Lions get their first win this weekend, even though they are the best 0-8 team of all time. Bucks and uh, Washington football team both coming off bye weeks. Bucks are nine-and-a-half-point favorites. Easy pick. Bucks on the road. Yeah, I agree. And there's questions about Heineke versus Fitzpatrick. I think Fitzpatrick is still dealing with that hip injury, so it'll be Heineke starting for the football team. As we move into the afternoon slate, Vikings going to SoFi Stadium to play the Los Angeles Chargers. 
Herbert or Cousins? I like Herbert. Um, I really think that they're going to start making a push here um, towards this back half or middle and back half of the season. They do have a favorable schedule coming up. I think it starts with Minnesota and they continue to win and uh, they get on a win streak right here. As you can expect with a Chargers game, it is the second highest over under at 53. The highest over under is the Falcons and Cowboys at 54 and a half. But yeah, I, I like Herbert a little bit better than Cousins this week, especially at home. And I think that uh, they get it done, even though it's just like the, the Chargers haven't really been in the headlines. The Vikings, they Dalvin Cook ran the ball well last week. I still like the Chargers at home. Another afternoon game, Eagles at mile high against the Broncos who come off a big 30-0 shutout whenever the Cowboys do they do it again against the NFC East foe yeah I think being in the mile high city at Denver is going to affect Jalen Hurts and the Eagles offense um, and I think Denver gets their third win in a row they've gotten two wins against two media or a mediocre opponent in the Cowboys um, I think they keep it rolling and Philadelphia falls to three and seven and they're going to look for more answers on both sides of the ball yeah and I think what, what's interesting is if the Broncos win this game you're going to see more talks of them hey we, we talked about them early on when they were 3-0. Do you think they have a chance to kind of bounce back? Because look at the AFC West. They're, yeah, it's 5-3, 5-3, 5-4, It is extremely tight, and it's and it's extremely close. The Chiefs aren't really showing any signs of separation. You never know with the Raiders and obviously the Chargers. We don't know if they are there yet to really make that push for an AFC West title. So I'm picking the Broncos, and I think that there's going to be a lot of talk about them in the coming weeks about what they can do in that division. Speaking of the AFC West, Sunday Night Football is an AFC West battle between the Chiefs and Raiders in Allegiant Stadium. There's going to be a lot of headlines with this game. What's going to be the headline after the game? I think the Raiders can really bounce back. We said last week we thought that we they wouldn't let the noise get to them within their clubhouse, and they lost on the road. I think being back home will give them a more comfortable environment to bounce back in. Yeah, I, I, I like the Chiefs, though. I think that uh, Patrick Mahomes starts to figure it out this week, and they start to go on their tear. Monday Night Football. This could be a good one. I don't know. I don't know what to think of the 49ers yet, but Rams traveling to the 49ers. Who wins this one? Rams are favored by four. It's tempting to pick the 49ers, but I'm going to have to go with Los Angeles and Matthew Stafford. Just, I mean, a bounce back win from the Titans at home. I think they'll get it done. Right. They get that extra day to really uh, recuperate and figure things out. I like Matthew Stafford and the Rams as well. Those are our NFL Week 10 predictions. We are moving on to the NBA here on the scoreboard on WEGL 91.1 FM. One more segment before we turn off the scoreboard for the day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the scoreboard with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. We hope you have enjoyed listening. You can listen to us every Thursday at 2 p.m. on WEGL 91.1 FM or at WEGLFM.com. Breaking news on the scoreboard on Weagle 91.1 FM. Odell Beckham Jr., we just mentioned him. I wish he was going to the Packers. But it is breaking news, according to Adam Schefter and ESPN, that he is going to the Los Angeles Rams. So I guess that solidifies my pick for the Rams winning on, yeah, on Monday night. Definitely minus four. I'll, I would definitely place that, especially if um, if he's going to play on Monday night, because I have a feeling Matthew Stafford and Odell Beckham together will be a fun duo. So look out for that OBJ to the Rams. And we are going to get into the NBA portion of the last segment of today's show. What a start to the NBA season, I'd say, standings-wise. That's really what we're going to kind of look at here on today's show instead of any particular matchups. Um, let's go ahead and we'll look at the Western Conference, then we'll get into the Wild East. Golden State, an NBA best record of 10-1 and to start the season out. Steph Curry scoring 50 the other night. Um, I think he's the second oldest player to ever do that with 50 points and 10 assists, if I remember correctly. 
Um, and regardless, the Warriors are top of the West once again, and that's going to be scary, especially when Clay Thompson comes back. Following them in order, Jazz, Phoenix Suns, Denver at four. I mean, Denver and the Clippers the other night, that was crazy Ooh. too. <laughs> the Mavs, the Clippers, Los Angeles, Lakers at seven, and then Grizz at eight, and just outside of the top eight is Sacramento and Portland. Whew, I mean, where do we start with the West? Well, let, let, let's talk about the Warriors, because okay. like you mentioned, they still don't have Klay Thompson. Still don't. They still don't have Klay Thompson, and they're probably going to get him back in January or February, and he's going to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah. And we get to the playoffs with a healthy and in-groove Klay Thompson and, of course, the greatest shooter of all time, Steph Curry. Look out. Yeah, I mean, Steph's averaging 27 and four or 27.4 points a game, over six assists and over six rebounds a game. He's also averaging nearly two steals a game. Um, I mean, is he definitely the early MVP leader? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. I, I can't really even think of anybody that comes to mind that might be closest in second place. Um, I mean, you can always say KD. I, yeah, he's KD. leading the league in scoring. Yeah, so um, impact wise, Steph has had the biggest impact. Just and also just the supporting role of the guys on the Warriors this year. Yeah, Jordan Poole. I mean, he's averaging nearly twenty a game, and so is Andrew Wiggins. Draymond Green doing what he does: points, rebounds, assists. Um, I mean. The Warriors, especially when they get Klay Thompson back, that might become the favorite for the NBA champions. Well, you didn't even mention Andrew Wiggins, who dunked all over Carl Anthony Towns he twice sh- last night. He sure did. And another twice. guy that another guy that's been really impactful in the dunking game. Uh, I mean, Peyton the second. Yeah, Gary Payton. He's been. I mean, off the bench, playing well. Dude's got some bunnies. He does, and I want to see him in the dunk contest. I was thinking that. Um, it's not ever too early to think about the dunk contest, so. We'll keep him in mind when thinking about uh, contestants for that. But following the Warriors, um, in the three seed, the Phoenix Suns defending Western Conference champions um, from last year. Not really much to talk about in the West either. Besides the Lakers, I mean, I, I, I realize LeBron's been out with, with injury. I mean, I don't understand what the injury is. Um, I mean, yeah, it's probably one of those injuries where they're just going to rest him because he's old and he can't play that yeah. many games in a season anymore. But this is where the Lakers were last year, and I don't see them holding that seven spot. I see them climbing up to the top four by season's end, especially whenever they play. They start to play LeBron a little bit more. Uh, because here's another thing. Part of it is kind of like the baseball season where coming off the 60-game season, their bodies weren't re- the pitchers weren't ready to play 162 games, whereas yeah. the, player, the basketball players, the season ended in like June yeah. or July, whereas it usually ends – in, in early June. June. Yeah. So it's a little shorter turnaround than usual. And I really think that that's going to make a difference for these players' injured, uh, health. They're 7-5 and five on the year, so 12 games played. LeBron has only played in six of those, still leads the team with nearly 25 points a game. Right behind him is Anthony Davis, who has played in every game this year. He's averaging 24 a game with uh, 11, over 11 rebounds a game as well and over two blocks a game as well. And Russell Westbrook and Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony having statistically the best – shooting averages of his career. Wild. I mean, wild. How crazy is that to think about? Well, it makes sense. He's he's playing on a good team. He's also having to expand his role when LeBron is out. But, yeah, you're right. It, it is kind of wild just having Russell Westbrook and Anthony Davis next to him, and he's performing as well as he is. And, I mean, Russ, the other biggest acquisition in the offseason, I mean, he started out slow those first few games with the Lakers. He's picked it up, though, 19.3 points a game, nearly 10 rebounds a game, and almost nine assists a game. So he's he's doing what Russ does, the triple-double machine, as we like to call him on the scoreboard. He played so well last night. He really did. 
Um, but I agree with you. I think towards the end of the season, bigger picture, I think they can really kind of make a push for one of those top four uh, seeds going into the playoffs. So let's go ahead and look on the other side of the uh, the league in the Eastern Conference. The top two seats are two teams that, <laughs> I mean, well, one. So one team coming into the season, everyone's like, well, look out for them. And sure enough, look out. It's only 11 games in. But still, the other team, what? Yeah, the Bulls being expected with the acquisitions they had. And then the Washington Wizards. I mean, they're both eight and three. I mean, Chicago just has, I feel like, a lot of momentum in that city right now. And they have a lot of confidence, especially with who they've been playing. I mean, they had the offseason pickups of Lonzo Ball, Alex Caruso, DeMar DeRozan, and then guys that have been there a while like Zach Levine. I mean, and also Vucevic. I mean, yeah, for sure. This has been a, a fun team to watch. The team leader in points, DeMar DeRozan, he's kind of been having a comeback year after a lot of people wrote him off after he left Toronto. He's averaging 26 points a game. Right behind him, Zach Levine having the season of his career with 26 points a game as well. And I mean, that's just a group of guys that have played with a chip on their shoulder, it kind of seems like, to start the season out. Yeah, and that's the big thing is that these guys are consistently playing together. I mean, look at that. De- DeRozan, Levine, Vucevic, and Ball all playing between 34.2 and 35.1 minutes per game. I mean, they've been beating good teams as well. They've beaten the Mavs and they've beaten the Nets. I mean, right. And I, I really think Caruso coming off the bench is a big deal. And as we speak to the Wizards, same kind of deal. Those acquisitions of Montrez Harrell, Kyle Kuzma, Contavious yeah. Caldwell-Pope has really launched them to this first place in the East. And, of course, Rally Beal. Never doubt Rally Beal. And then one quick comment before we have to get off the air today. Should we start worrying about the 6-6 six and six Milwaukee Bucks? No. Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm worried about. It's the Hawks. Yeah, The Hawks, yeah. They're 4-6. and six, Or 4-8. and eight, I'm sorry. It could just be another slow start to the season like last year. Of course, last year was a lot to do with the coaching and Lloyd Pierce. But... I think Nate McMillan will set the ship straight and the Hawks will be just fine down the stretch. Catch the replay of today's episode of The Scoreboard wherever you find your podcast. Search The Scoreboard. That's going to do it for Jacob Hillman and myself, Baymarks on Weagle. Huge weekend in Auburn Athletics. Women's basketball tonight at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow, Auburn soccer hosts Sanford. Auburn's men's basketball hosting ULM. And Saturday morning hosting Mississippi State. You've been listening to The Scoreboard on WGL 91.1 FM. You've been listening to The Scoreboard on 91.1 Weagle with Bay Marks and Jacob Hillman. Listen every Thursday at 2 p.m. as Jacob and Bay cover all the happenings in sports. You can keep up with all the great shows on Weagle by streaming us on our website at weglfm.com. And follow us on Twitter and Instagram at wegl underscore au.